Welcome to the Wealth Matters Podcast, where investors come together to better understand how to build passive cash flow and create generational wealth without all the confusing mumbo jumbo. Here's your host and co-author of Amazon number one bestseller, Alpesh Pamar. Welcome to Wealth Matters Podcast. Today's guest, Stephanie Walter, is the CEO of Airbay Wealth. She's a syndicator and author of a new book, Shattering Money Myths, How the Wealthy Invest. She recently retired and sold her insurance agency of 16 years by following the key principles she teaches professionals to use. So welcome, Stephanie. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So let's get started. And, and as soon as we are, we get started, we ask this question to every guest. Tell us something interesting or maybe funny about yourself. Uh, interesting or funny. I, uh, I am a native Coloradan, um, which is very rare uh, <laughs> in Colorado now because there's so many move-ins. Yes. And, uh, you know, I'm your typical Colorado person. We, I'm following the Nuggets really closely in this, uh, in this playoff season. I'm very excited. I've been I'm older than 47 years old, but they've been around 47 years and uh, have never been to the finals. So I've been very excited about that. Oh, yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is great. So and you um, I was going through your bio and it mentioned that you had insurance agency for 16 years. And of course, this is an investment show. We talk about investing in alternative assets. Of course, real estate is the big part of it. So I'll ask you this. What was your first investment and how did it work out for you? My first investment uh, was a house that I purchased in 2004. Um, and uh, it was in an area of Denver that my real estate agent was very uh, skeptical of it was called Sloan's Lake at uh -oh. the time. And uh, I just felt like I just had, I don't know, I just felt like it was going to be a good investment. I felt like if Denver would grow this, this uh, area of town is super close to downtown Denver, like five minutes away. And I just felt like they're like, I had a good hunch about it. So um, just bought it and uh, lived in it for a little bit of time and then um, got out of it and, and moved into my next investment. So it's kind of hard to to go wrong there. But know that that I that property I sold. And I think it was in 2020 and uh, it had more than doubled. Of course, by that time. <laughs> So it was, uh, you know, that that I love the single family homes. I wasn't super educated at that time. And so I tended to buy, you know, kind of under market in areas where I really thought there'd be growth. And uh, luckily, I was correct on on everything on on that particular one. And actually, I'm going to say I, I haven't. Uh, had a property that didn't exceed my expectations. So I haven't lost money in real estate. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. 
That is awesome. So let's talk about because uh, you have a booth, bo- book, right? And and uh, of course, it talks about how wealthy invest. So what the wealthy do differently in regards to money and their investments? Yeah. No. Yeah. I I wrote this book because I dealt. I. Uh, had moved into syndication and my partner was excellent at finding the deals and I needed to raise money. So as a result, I ended up uh, having a lot of really great relationships with wealthy people, you know, that would open up their financial knowledge to me. And so I did notice right away that they were doing things that were differently than even I was doing. And uh, I think the first simplest part I say simple, but it's difficult for people is um, the mindset of a wealthy person, because if you don't have a mindset of a wealthy person, you're, you're never going to, you never get many of the things that they do. So the mindset of a wealthy person is, is very different than even, like I said, myself at that time, Uh, I was like, 99% of the people out there believing that you needed to accumulate. I just had an accumulation view of money. I'm just going to accumulate, accumulate. Some of it would be in my control. In my, most people have a 401k where they're accumulating the money. I, I was doing the same philosophy, but I was buying real estate and thinking I'll just, um, even though I'm not cash flowing a lot here, I'm just going to hold on to it because it's going to appreciate in 30 years, it's going to be paid off and then I'll be able to retire. So that's sort of the mindset of accumulation, which is completely different than a wealthy person. Their mindset is utilization. So they're right. using their money at all times. I I use a kind of a try to direct people into thinking that they view their money as their employee. What are you doing for me right now? And they are they're investing in things and that provide cash flow to them almost all the time. Uh, but they uh, they have a lot of power. Uh, they have a lot of control because they know what they're investing in. They do their due diligence, but the goal, they always have a goal going into it, which is what, what is my money doing for me? And sometimes the more savvy, wealthy investors have their money moving at a much faster rate and possibly being invested in two things at the same time, which increases the velocity of their money. Right. Mm-hmm. No, that totally makes sense. And that's what I have been seeing as well. So let's talk about the book. What are some of the money myths you discuss in your book? I think the most surprising one is that people believe that people that are wealthy are wealthy because they took risks <laughs> uh, to get that money. Because, you know, we go back to our, the if you've talked to a financial planner, they will ask you how much risk are you willing to take and the more risk you're willing to take the more you know better the returns are possibly but then you could possibly not have good returns but i find that the wealthy investor is very very risk averse that they will not take risks with their money the they will not have losses with their money and they'll do everything that they can to prevent that 
Um, so it, they will do a lot of research on, say, a syndication. They'll research who who they're investing with, what kind of track record do these people have, um, what's their exit strategy, everything like that. So that that's extremely important to them. I believe that the wealthy person likes to have asymmetric risk, asymmetric risk or asymmetric return. So to have a low risk of having money put into an investment, they want to have an asymmetric return. They want to have a very large return for a very small amount of risk. Oh, that's awesome. So even, even my understanding was that, of course, they would be taking, uh, depending on, of course, their portfolio, right? So I think there will be some money which is just for gambling or risk, right? But a lot of it would be in the risk averse assets. Yep. And I, I, once they do get quite wealthy, there is like, I think, for a few of my investors, they they keep five percent. Right. Yeah. That's uh, and that's the amount that they just kind of play with yeah. you know, startup companies and yeah, and cryptos. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, that is great. And and you also talk about tax diversification. So, what is tax treatment diversification? Well, this is something that again, I wasn't that well aware of until I started looking at what my wealthy investors were doing with their money. And I noticed that they, okay, there's three buckets of tax treatment diversification. The first one is taxable, taxable right. income. So your money that's either sitting in the stock market or sitting in savings, the interest that's occurring on that you're paying taxes on. Okay. So taxable. Then you've got tax deferred that by and large, probably the majority of people have their money in tax deferred investments. Yes. So that would be their 401k. IRAs. Yep, IRAs. And that once they get to the magic age of taking their money out, they get they pay whatever tax rate is going to be there right. for them when they exit. Now, somewhere in between there is is tax advantaged. Um, which is real estate, actually, right. because you get some great tax advantages there. But the third bucket in my um, definition is not taxed money. And very few wealthy people have access to things that are not taxable. So they create, this is another, uh, I call it, they engineer products to achieve what they want to achieve. And um, in particular, they use a product which is quite interesting. It's um, it's life insurance, but yes, the way life insurance. Yeah, but the way that they do it actually is quite different than most people are aware of. In in this particular product, they leverage the bank yes. to buy the eighty five to ninety percent of the insurance. So say. Yeah have a million dollar insurance policy premium, the bank is going to pay 900,000. The uh, insured person is going to pay 100,000. And, and this product is linked to the stock market. So they get the ups of the market, but none of the downs. Downside, I, can, yeah. I can go into uh, more about that um, at a later time. But so essentially, let's say the market does 7% that year. So they get a 7% return on 
not on the $100,000 that they've invested, but the million dollar policy. So this makes this an incredibly powerful tool with definitely double digit returns with no uh, risk of loss. They, they can never lose on this policy. It can only go up because they take zero. Um, if there's a year where they have losses, they get a zero gain in their in their policy. But what's fascinating about this product is I, I write it mostly for people probably in their 40s and 50s, is they let it sit for like 10 or 15 years and then they get a they get to pull out money distributions um, for the rest of their lives that is tax-free income. And it is an incredibly powerful machine when it's set up correctly. So so then they get tax-free income, um, which is pretty amazing, um, you know, uh, because the bank has basically funded this for them. So it's, it's, and these are the things that wealthy people do that they know about and but most of the regular people just have never heard of it. No, yeah, and um, my listeners are actually aware of this strategy. Mm-hmm. I personally have the whole life insurance high cash value. At that time, I did not know about premium financing, mm-hmm. but I think you are referring to the IUL premium yes. financing policy, right? So I do have that as well, a separate, but I don't have the premium financing. So we have spoken about this strategy a lot uh, on the podcast as well. Uh, this is a great strategy. And as I mentioned, I personally have it as well. <laughs> yes, I do as well. So anything I, I've seen the wealthy people do, I've done it myself. <laughs> of course, of course. And you come from insurance agencies. So you you are aware of this. So in the premium financing world, because I have not done that personally, and I'm I'm hoping to do it this year. Um, how does it work? So you put, let's say, 100,000, bank puts 900,000. What do they get? And what do you get? And you mentioned that you get the dividend, uh, you know, or the 7%, let's say, if, the, if your money made 7%, you get for the entire 1 million. But how, how, the, how does bank benefit? This is fascinating because I get a lot of people that are quite skeptical of this, but we have a product that um, basically the you qualify you qualify based on your net worth, okay, um, but you don't have to put any collateral down at all. Right. Yeah. So that that's really awesome. So it's like going and getting a loan for nine hundred thousand and basically never having to pay the bank. Because the way that this policy is structured is we structure this policy to grow, to grow, to grow. And um, around year 10, the bank gets its full payment back from the value that's already in the policy. And um, so they get that, that value out at year 10. And then, and then after that, it's all yours. And um, a lot of people have been like, well, why do banks want to do that? They banks love this, um, especially with the turbulence in the banking market. We have relationships with banks that we've had for twenty years, and um, they love this because you know, say you the person dies or you know something. There's always the value in the policy that secures this loan. So for them, they look at this as a very secured, safe loan. And um, 
hopefully that answered it, uh, the question, but yes. No, I, I, yeah, that, that definitely that, that makes sense. So, um, and also my next question is usually with the high cash value life insurance, when you put, let's say, an, um, 100,000, you may have access to 75 to 85% of it, right? What happens in this case is, is your 100,000, most of it going in the, uh, in the, as the fees or, or you have access to it as the cash value? You have access to the whole cash value, even the money that the bank puts in. But, um, you know, what we tell people, like, say you needed uh, some money, like, to tide you over. I know my, my I'm coming up with an example of one of my clients that wanted to buy a condo. And they were waiting for, they had, like, a, a bonus coming in from work. Um, and so they went into this policy, took the money out uh, so that they could get the deal because they were getting a heck of a deal on this. So they went and took out the money from their from the life policy. And then in a couple months, I think it was like three months, they paid they paid Got the it. policy back. But usually this is like it's a machine. So it's really designed to kind of set it and leave it for that 10 period, 10 year period of time. But there certainly is access as easy as the whole life to pull money out. It, we just advise people to do that for shorter time periods. Got it. Mm -hmm. So what strategies for investing do you recommend people look into? Those are, these are the two. I think I love the premium finance. I have not ever seen anything that's as good as this for people to take advantage of. Um, I love syndications. My background is in syndications. I've invested in a, a, a lot of syndications. I love the tax benefits that come from those. Um, I also tell people to not be so wary, not wary, but um, so negative towards insurance companies because they offer a lot of really amazing products. They are complicated. Some of them can be complicated. Maybe that's what turns people off. Yes. But um, they're like even annuities, like they get a bad rap, but there are some amazing annuities that are out there and available that give people lifetime income. And um, for really, you know, not a lot of of money up front. And so you just have to find the right one for your particular strategy. But I think all these things should, this is what I consider truly diversifying your portfolio. You know, having possibly a premium finance if you can qualify for it. If you can't qualify for it, you can go into an IUL or a whole life policy. And once that policy becomes, uh, you know, has enough money in it or, has uh, or you get the net worth that's required of this policy, you can roll that money over into a premium finance life insurance policy. Um, but and and annuities, I think they're all they all have their place and they're outside of the 401k. I'm a very I'm very negative about the 401k in a lot of ways, um, just because we don't know what the taxes are going to be. The, we're looking at, we've had the lowest taxes in, in a long time, but if you look at the tax rates over, since they started calculating them, on average, the tax rates have been 58.6%. So can you imagine getting to retirement 
And instead of having 38%, you're having almost 60% of your money going. That's one thing. The other thing is there's a lot of misinformation about how much money you can take out of your 401k when you retire. People, most people, actually, there was a survey done. um, Baby boomers think they can take 10% of the money out of their, like, let's just say they have a million dollars they can take out. 10%. 10%. Well, there, that is not correct at all. Even Dave Ramsey says that you could take out 8%. That is definitely not the <laughs> case. There's been a Morningstar, which is a, um, a consulting firm that has right. done a lot of research on this. And they say most reasonably it's 2.8%. Wow. If you have a million dollars in your 401k, you can expect to take $28,000. That's it. And that is taxable at whatever. Right. So these are these are why I I want to make people aware of them so that they can plan. You know, because even in your forties and fifties, you even sixties, quite honestly, you can still make changes that will be very impactful to your retirement. And I, I totally agree. So um, I think four hundred one k and IRAs and any kind of this retirement plans are basically kicking the can down the road, right? And the second thing is, which I which I have heard from Robert Kiyosaki, I'm stealing the quote, is that why do you want to think that you would retire poor? Why would you not want to retire wealthy? Or right, that should be the goal. I don't want to have lower tax brackets than what I have right now. I would prefer to have the same kind of income when I retire as well from all all of my investments. Right. So the goal should be how I can pay. I don't have to pay any tax. Instead of, you know, trying to kick the can down the road and then after 20, 30 years, whenever the time comes and you got to, you know, pay all those taxes on the on the investment, which has grown, you know, uh, maybe 10 times or whatnot. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It's just it's something that has been relatively recent since the 80s. The 401k came out. If you do any research, if you like to look into history, it was never meant to be, to be people's sole retirement source. Um, but that's what <laughs> we forget about. <laughs> no, that makes sense, right? And before there were pension plans which got removed, right? So I think 401k was just supplementary with pension plans or complementing pension plans, but they are gone and then people rely on 401k now. Mm-hmm. Now, this is great. Thank you so much for sharing all the golden nuggets. Are you ready for fire round? I am. <laughs> Would you be changing business or investment strategy because of the current environment, right? We are in inflationary environment. Inflation is going down and then recession is around the corner. Mm-hmm. I am not. I guess uh, what I'm looking at is I have a few properties that we're going to be selling this year. And I'm looking at um, finding you know, a specific asset class that I'm looking at near, near my home uh, in Colorado or possibly Wyoming, there's a lot of areas that are growing like a lot. And so I'm looking to find a property, not apartments, but I like retail actually service retail in areas where there's a lot of growth, um, tremendous growth. And so I have a few areas I'm looking into to do that investment because I understand the interest rates are going up and um, possibly, 
you know, where we may come to a recession. But I believe that, and this is what I've seen in my past, is if you buy correctly, you're never going to lose. Right. If you've done your due diligence, you know, you know, this this is a good deal. It's going to be a good deal in a high interest rate environment, a low interest rate environment. And I'm just careful to select loans that will, you know, allow me to, you know, transition into a different type of loan. If if the interest rates go down, I'm not certain that they're ever going to go back to where they were before. So um, real estate has always made sense to me. So I'm just going to continue along that path. I'm I'm not looking at office. You know, there are certain um, retail tends to go to a lot of service related industries. So like where you have to go in to get your hair cut or your nails done. Or, you know, and those things will probably always have a necessity, especially if you find ones in a growing market. Um, but yeah, like office spaces and things like that, I, 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 I would stay away from those. Um, no, but, I, I yeah. totally agree. And actually, we raise capital uh, for mobile home parks and senior housing. Uh, we haven't done multifamily for three years because uh, I realized it was getting too competitive. But since last year, we also started investing in retail. So I do see we bought our first retail shopping center in June of last year. And then we closed on another two property portfolio in March earlier this year as well, because I think retail is here to stay. And all of us want to take care of that local market, right? Because yeah, I want to, I don't want to order on Amazon all the time. I want to be able to drive a mile away and, and pick up something I need, right? Or as you said, you know, haircut, I can't do it online, you know, nails and, and even the restaurant, right? Restaurants are booming right now because everyone after COVID wants to go out. They want to have fun and they want to, uh, you know, support the local businesses, right? So I think it's uh, retail is here to stay. Of course, I, I don't know about office and, you know, the shopping malls, right? Because they are the ones who are struggling. But I, I totally agree with retail. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, that, that, and, you know, just, I've, I've already put into place premium financing on myself and my husband. Uh, I've even uh, taken out a few annuities. Uh, so yeah, that I feel like I'm diversifying. I have a small, small part of our portfolio is in a 401k that my husband, he works a regular job. So I, I'm not opposed to, to the 401k. I'm just saying it should be one part of your investment. And you should know, like, um, like we've transitioned in his 401k to, to be investing in index funds and not in the mutual funds because, uh, there, as we all know, that it's like ninety six percent. The index beats the mutual fund. Right, it's ninety six percent of the time. So, and it has very low fees. So, as long as someone's very, um, t- again, takes ownership of their investments and understands that we need to lower the fees and possibly move over to index funds, I think it's a fine strategy to have for part of your money, but not all of it. That's awesome. Favorite nonfiction book? It could be self-help, investment, business, other than your book or my book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, no, my my book is Killing Sacred Cows. I, I love it. It's uh, by Garrett Gunderson. It talks a lot about um, the things I've talked about today. Um, it's a real, it's a philosophy book about how we view money and yes. why why letting the financial industry take your money and take ownership of your own money uh, is a bad thing. Uh, and so I I... I like that book. <laughs> I heard of it, but I have not read it. So I'm going to put it in uh, my uh, reminders as well. Any tool or website you recommend or you cannot live without? Oh, boy. I mean, I know this might sound <laughs> crazy, but okay. So when I now have been looking in for making investments, you know, outside of a syndication on my own. I love, love, love going on the internet and, and doing research on markets. And I like, I know Wikipedia is, is nice. The department of labor has uh, some great websites too, um, that talk about the growth. But I mean, as a general 30,000 foot overview, when you're looking at a market, Wikipedia is pretty hard to beat because it talks about the different, um, like what is growing in this area, how look at the history of the demographics in the area and is it growing and why is it growing? What are the, what are the, um, businesses that are relocating to this, to this area? Uh, I also like to talk to, um, the people that work at the, um, Oh gosh, economic. Oh shoot, I, I'm drawing a blank on what they where where they are. But they're in the city. Any city you're looking at, you go in and you look at the economic development department. It might have a different name, which eludes me. But that's pretty much it. And you go in and you put a call into them and you ask them, "Hey, what are you guys projecting? Are you continuing to grow? Do you have any new?" you know, anything that's new that's coming into the area. And they're more than happy to talk to you and give you some inside information. I, that by doing that, actually, when I first started investing years ago as, in syndications, that saved me from investing right. in a particular market because they said, oh, yeah, we've got 300 units of workforce house workforce housing that are that's coming about a mile away from the place you're planning on buying and i was like okay well then <laughs> we there right but no no it these are these are great i mean it's they're not all online you have to pick up a phone to call someone um but i think those two sources are great when you're looking at an area even if it's not you that's investing if it's a syndicate and if it's a syndicator, just check out the market and see if it's what they're saying it is. Right, right. It always makes sense. Any advice for investors? Um, I mean, I'd say <clears throat> to see what your money is doing for you. And don't be and try to challenge yourself to to look at money differently, like when I had all my rental properties in Denver and I had to evaluate them and say, what is the actual cash flow here? 
and and transition some of this money into areas in which you could get a bet, much better return than what I was getting allowed me to actually end up selling my agency and, you know, quote unquote, retiring, um, whatever that looks like. Um, but no, I think that there needs to be a mindset shift that you are in control of your money. You know, and you need to really examine what you're invested in and do the research on these other methods. I know your financial planner will tell you, oh, my gosh, no <laughs> life insurance. Oh, my gosh. Annuities. No way. And um, but you have to understand that they get paid on how much money you have invested with them. Correct. Um, so there is a reason why they are so fearful of of these pro of you going into these products because it takes away from them. So um, no, I just say to be curious and see what successful people are doing and repeat it. That's awesome. How do you give back? Um, I, I give back. Uh, well, I'm a part of the Rotary Club and we do a lot of giving back into our communities with the seniors. Um, I, I am really passionate about the youth um, and changing and educating them on um, just finance in general, <laughs> how money works and finance. And so I, I contribute a lot to my son's school and I, I am going to, in the next few years, um, get involved with some other, uh, other nonprofits that are educating kids on financial stuff. Um, because I, I just believe it's so important. Um, but yeah, th those are generally the ways I give back. Oh, that's awesome. How can my listeners reach out to you? Um, they can reach out to me on my website, which is www.erbewealth.com. And there uh, is where you can get a copy of my book. Um, and there you can reach out to uh, set up a call with me or there I've got lots of educational resources on my website. Um, so it's a, it's a great place to start um, educating yourself. Thank you so much for your time today, Stephanie. Oh, thank you for, so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Matters podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes so others can enjoy the show too. Have a great week and happy investing!